I'm not quite now, my colleague. Double by the grace of God in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I am eternally grateful. I thought Thomas was going to say something nice about me, you know. I kept waiting, but anyway, I want to thank a few people here tonight, and uh, before I get started and get wound up and get into what it was like, what happened, what it's like today. I want to thank Rita. I don't know, didn't somebody say she's in Texas? I feel for her, but they said she's in Texas. I want to thank her for inviting me up here. And I also want to thank the people that set this meeting up. There's a lot of work that goes into Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was fortunate enough to come into Alcoholics Anonymous and be able to do that. They let me do that. Because a tongue-chewing bifagetic like me was able to do stuff like that. And I want to thank those people that set this meeting up. I see a gentleman sitting over yonder gave me some water and that. You know... I don't get amazed with people getting sober. I'm always amazed when I walk into a meeting and everything is set up. Everything gets started on time. It just amazes the hell out of me. I was up in Rome, Georgia, that night, and I just, it just blows my mind when I see something like that. Because nothing ever went right in this, this old drunk's life when I came to college. No. Nothing was ever right. And that's just the way life was when I got here. And to see that happen, and I've got a few people here, if I step outside, i got a few people here to keep me honest tonight. And I've worked a long time with Dottie and Roy and Gene sitting over here and people that I've known for a long time. And I've seen some people in here I haven't seen in a while, I haven't seen Thomas in a while, and Alan and people that are sitting around here. It always makes me feel good to come in to a meeting like I, of our college numbers and be able to Get up here and yab a little bit, talk about things, and then get in that truck, start down the road, and I say, dang, I forgot to say that. You know, I forgot to talk about that. And I start taking that inventory all over again. And every day of my life since I've taken that inventory, I take the inventory of everything I do. Now, I need to qualify myself because uh, I don't drink a lot of liquor. I'm one of those people that they talk about living on bar time. They talk about it, they wrote about it, and now Alcoholics Thomas, I'm living on borrowed time. But anyway, uh, some reason, a few years ago, people would get up here and, from Georgia and hang on to this podium and holler and scream, we were poor, but we didn't know it. By God, we did. It don't take a, a rocket science. To figure out if you got eight children in a family living in Powell County, you ain't got lights, you ain't got water, or anything else. You're poor. And, uh, I didn't like it. But I hear a last grasp, you know, of, uh, of, uh, I mean, surrender, I guess, or whatever, saying that they were poor. But anyway, when I came up, uh, it's over in Powell County. If you're ever over in Powell County in Dallas, Georgia, which used to not be anything there, but it's there. there's a, a lot of going on in Powell County now. And if you turn on 61 Highway, going to Cartersville, Georgia, I grew up in the Bryson Mountain. And we grew up up there, and I you know I had a father that had a drinking problem. Now, he is a spree drinker. My God, you ain't never seen nothing like that in all your life. Now, I'm kid to everybody in northwest Georgia. I want y'all to know that. I know them all. They know me. And I've seen them. But when I was drinking, I thought I was so important that they was thinking about me. 
Now I've been back, and that's one thing that I'm going to talk about tonight. There's a fact that I wanted to go home. Now I haven't been home in a long time when I was drinking liquor. And it used to be, it just turned my insides out to think about that I can go home. Because I went home one time and they seen what I'd made out of myself. A drunken slob and a thief. A low damn bottom drunk is what I was when I was And I left that place and I didn't go back till I got sober, but I thought they was thinking about me and they, they never said a word when I got back. Here's my nephew. Here's my cousin. And all that. I, I just kept thinking. I don't know why I hated them. I don't know why I done that. But anyway, when I was growing up up there, I remember now when they didn't have lights. They didn't, I remember first inside bathroom I saw. And everything else, even in the schools, they didn't have them up there. So it was, <laughs> it was one heck of a thing, but that's the only kind of life we knew. Now, the first thing that we started doing when I was a kid, my mother was, I was talking about my mother being her grandmother being a Native American, we used to call them Indians, but I don't think they do that no more. That's not political correct. I don't know what is. Anyway, <coughs> they was out of Gunnersville, Alabama. And evidently my mother had had a lot of trouble in her, but she never talked about anything. That's one of the things about living in a, in a alcoholic family, is they never talked about anything. They never discussed anything. My dad one time come home, Tore the whole house, all the pieces, throwed everything outside. We went back, put it back together, and never said a word about it. But anyway, she she grew up over. Now my mother was a nut. Captain, mighty no. Somebody told me one time I said that, and I hey, amen. They gave me the damnedest lecture I've had in my life. And when they got through, she's still that. I mean, you know, <clears throat> I love my mother, but I didn't like my mother. I didn't like anything about her. Good God, she could on that warpath. She had that Jekyll and Hyde type thing. And I reckon she thought that she disciplined us enough. And when it's eight of us, kids, you know, uh, somebody asked me when I come in here, I think Roy asked me, he said, Buck, we've been on 12 steps called lately, and then you scoring a lot of them, you know. I said, no, nah, the whole damn family's sober, boy. <coughs> we used to have our family reunion in damn A, a meeting, you know. And that's what I, I was talking to him about. But anyway, when we came, when she came up, she she started. She's just real dominant type person. Now I don't tell you how bad off I was. I grew up in that family, so rigid and everything like that. I went to Lockheed, and that's one of the most rigid places. When I went to work there at Silver Bend, I thought it was the greatest place at Silver Bend. I heard a guy one time say he went in the army, and when he got in all them rules and regulations. He thought he had freedom. I didn't know that it's stuff like that existed. I went to work there when they made you stay in Newark. They'd say, stay right here. I stayed right there. Because <coughs> that's why I was trained. But anyway, sometimes our shortcomings can become our strength, you know. And, and, and later on, when I came in Alcoholics Anonymous, that played a big part in me coming into Alcoholics Anonymous. But anyway, when we was coming up up there, it's sort of like the Hatfield and McCoy's. My family was. They, they fought. They done everything. <coughs> and uh, they all went to Millersville. I don't know. 441 Highway. I don't know where y'all have been down there called Millersville, Georgia. Now, I know more about that damn place than the tax camp. I've been down there and took them down there. But <coughs> where I came from, I didn't call it alcoholism. Nervous breakdowns. 
Everybody's having a nervous breakdown. But as quick as they get back down there and back then, they go down there. They're in debt and they come back. Hell, they out of debt and everybody else. Start all over again. Anyway, my grandmother on my father's side was Trump of death in Middlesfield, Georgia. And she died there. And that's just the way things were. Now, they had a lot of trouble getting her out of the pear tree. She'd give them pear tree and stuff like that when she'd go nuts. I didn't understand any of this stuff. And, uh, I was uh, around other people, and you just don't talk much when you're around other people. You know, you don't bring up, well, I get my grandmother out of the paratree this morning or something like that. She's gone nuts again. And they didn't have any of these pocket rockets they have today to keep them people calmed down a little bit. <coughs> they didn't have stuff like that. So they, they had to treat them the best way they knew how to treat them. And they, they'd lock them up and lock them away and stuff like that. And they just scared me to death. Now, my father had been off to World War II, and uh, I had a lot of resentment against my father for some reason, because I used to, one of the reasons I had that, I used to listen to my mother. Now, I used to listen to people a lot, and they'd, they'd start downing people, and before it was over with, I was hating them too, and I didn't, most of those people I didn't even know, but I started to hate But anyway, <coughs> he was a disabled veteran. And God, my father, if you've seen him come and drink, and I was a functional drunk, I don't know what that means, except I usually wasn't laying down, I was standing up, you know, but he'd lay down. He just, when you've seen him coming, you've seen him come through the door, you know where D.L., they call him Dave, and his initial was D.L. Thomason. If you've seen him coming through that door, I, God, you knew he'd drunk, he from one side of that thing to another, you know. But I never was that away, and I thought I was doing good when I started drinking, because I wasn't always one side of the room to the other, falling down, puking, all kind of stuff like that. So anyway, when we come up up there, and if you have out on 113 Highway between Dallas and Carter, I mean, between Rockmark and Carterville, there's some cotton patches out there. I don't know where anybody's ever picked any cotton in here, but I can ride down that road now, and my back starts hurting. Charlie Pratt can sing him old cotton field back home. My back started hurting. Good God Almighty, we've done some work down there. At least it felt like we'd done a whole lot of work. And back then, we'd done a lot of stuff that's raw. You know, we we haven't been industrialized in this in the state of Georgia quite from it. We hadn't had the Ford Motor Company, maybe General Motors, to come to town. But we haven't been industrialized. Like we would be later on. So, anyway... We've done a lot of sawmilling, making liquor. God mighty know. They used to say we farm, but we've done it down the hollers. Made corn liquor. But anyway, that's the way we've done it up there. Now, down in South Georgia, they can't cover it up down there. They make syrup liquor. You've ever heard anybody talk about syrup liquor. But anyway, I'd go to the churches, old Baptist churches, and see them liquor cars. Man, I like that. I told somebody the other day, I, I've been retired for almost a little over three years. Now I'm full-time, I went last week, back full-time work as college football, NFL, and NASCAR. The week before I ended up working 39 hours a week, I went to 40 last week. So, you know, <coughs> anyway, I loved that NASCAR. More I loved them fast cars, those drag racers. Stuff like that make the hair stand up on my back. It come out of California. And, of course, NASCAR is only sports that's ever been born in the South. So, anyway, I loved that. And I used to go over and watch them 
them liquor cars when you bought them tankers and everything and, and think about driving them and I, I, I don't think them people were drunk when they were driving them. When I got them got drunk, I'd land up in the, uh, I totally everything I'd get, you know. I was standing over Charles Hardy's shoulder out there on 120 Highway and hire a man and I thought this. I had totaled three cars within two miles of that place when I was drinking liquor. I thought I'm, and I don't know why I thought about it. I was just standing there in the showroom and I just happened to think I'd landed one up in a persimmon tree or something other up there. But anyway, when, uh, when I was going to grammar school, uh, I, I had to do something. I, I didn't get off to a good start. I was always a slow starter, you know. I didn't get off real good and I had to, I always, I went all over the country telling people I failed the first grade. Well, I seen a classmate of mine not long ago, his mother passed away. His name is Douglas Corley. And he said we repeated the first grade. And I said, well, damn, that sounds a whole lot better saying I failed. I've been all over the country telling people I failed the first grade. I repeated the first You know how, I age that way. It's, it's always amazed me you just change one word in it. And I was taught that when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. It was a language. There's a language in here, and I, I hear it when I see people on the street and say, how you doing? There's a different language than other people speaking. It, it amazes me how it does that. But anyway, I got started stay 10 years in that one uh, school there, Burn Hickory School. They shut it down. But see, we went nine grades out in out, out in the country because we didn't go to high school, we got in uh, our sophomore year, and when I got up there, and uh, I got to hearing a different language, you know, I, I, there's one thing I always swore I wouldn't do it, when I seen people get drunk, sloppy drunk, all kind of stuff like that, I thought, I'll never do that, that's always the, the prayer of an alcoholic or a statement or whatever it is, I'll never do that, so anyway, when I got up there and they started talking and and I had this guy, he's about this tall and about this big around. I go by and see him all the time. He never took care of himself. He was one of the smartest guys I ever saw. But he never took care of himself. He's going blind. And I go by and see Clinton. Me and him went all the way through school together. And he gets talking about drinking. I thought, oh, my God, i got enough problems. Here I am working three or four jobs to try to get away from everything. I was always trying to get away from things by activity. I played sports. I got into working, and I'd always get <clears throat> get away from things, or my thinking to get away from things if I was doing things to a certain point, and then it'd build up and build up and build up, and then I'd have to get some kind of relief. So anyway, I was talking to this guy, and uh, I don't know where y'all ever drank any beer called Falstaff. Well, I always call it Flagstaff, but it's Falstaff. Old Dizzy Dean used to drink that fast Falstaff and shove him, uh hot dogs in his mouth when he's announcing baseball. But anyway, I drank that one bottle of stuff. I thought, God, that's a god awful taking stuff I love taking. Now, this was before me and Clinton got talking about it. Now, everybody does sell it. I could sell old devil stuff. When I was out there doing things, I could sell things. Everybody does sell it. But Clinton got talking about it. When he talked about it, it just sort of got Less and less about how horrible it tastes, and more and more about how wonderful it's going to be when I drink it. He just kept talking about it, talking about it. 
And on my junior senior year in Dallas High School, there used to be a Dallas High School. It's Fallon County now, and they used to be up there. And when I, my junior year, when I should have been enjoying what was going on, I was playing my first drum. And me and him were doing it, and uh, I don't know back then, and I don't know where anybody in here, maybe Alan knows, or Gene or somebody in here, know about bootleggers. God damn mighty know bootleggers are the greatest people in the world. I believe they even better in psychology than anybody I know. They could be on the bottom end of Paulding County. They wouldn't know why strong down there. Nothing was down there. And they'd know what's going on north here. Damn the thing I've ever seen in my life. They'd know what's going on north. All the county. They'd tell you all about everything. So let's see Ivory Cole as you're going into Dallas, Georgia on the left, on the right. As you're going into Dallas, they're doing a lot of grading in there now. It's just amazing how they're changing that place and it needs it. And uh, anyway, I was going in there and, uh, and we was talking about it. And back then they had steel cans. Now I don't tell you what. I don't know why. It's been a while since I drank the beer. I used it for a chaser. I never did drink one last time except use it for a chaser. But anyway, you couldn't get a beer cold in an aluminum can or plastic. I got you could in the, a steel can. Man, it just, you just see a sweat coming down the thing. Buck Wilder is 16 ounces. And man, it was 50 cents. And I, we had something they called a church key. I don't know where anybody's in here has ever heard of a church key. But you pop that thing, you know. This girl I used to go to school with come in one hanging around her neck, you know. She's proud of that. <laughs> of course, that's probably all we had up there. There wasn't very much in Paulding County. We was just a little bit, <clears throat> like I say, poor. So he gave it to me. And boy, I did it just like I'd done anything else. Looked like I used to do that water. I just turned that thing up. And drank that baby right down, and it kicked in. Boy, like a bomb went off, you know, in the bottom of my stomach. God damn mighty you know. I told them how many people I was going to whip that night. How many, how many women I was going to put the make on. You know, us instant inventory. You know, you take a, you take an inventory in here. I took one that night. Now I puked that. Now I was a puking drunk. I don't know where anybody. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't give it good justice to say I threw up. I puked. <laughs> now one time me and him was out, and some people remember this too. They used to have fifty-six buicks, and you hear them coming. They'd be humming. Those like this, of picking up and letting go. They run good too. Anyway, we was over on a dirt road, and I was out doing my usual thing, puking. I came down there, I was, I was doing postgraduate work and puking, but anyway, I was out doing my puking that day, nah. and it was raining, and I heard Clinton say, if you ever get sober, I'm on key. Now, folks, I can write a book about fear. When I came here, I had fear everything on God's green. If you ever look at that four step, and I'm not going to get in step because I don't really care what, the, I'm, I'm not here to read the book to you or anything like that. But on the and little brackets where I said fear. Everything over there said fear. That robbed you of everything on God's green earth. It robbed me of everything. It robbed me of education. It robbed me of everything because I was fearful. 
So I'm real fearful, and I felt this thing. I don't know where you've ever done that. Felt something go up your back, you know, back going where you get the fear most of it. I said, God, he'll kill me because I've heard so many stories about people whooping somebody or something. And I said, my God, what's wrong? He said, well, you just put your fingers down my throat when you're throwing up. So, you know, I switched, I got switched over and I put my fingers down his. I don't know how in the world I've done stuff like that. I remember sitting in an eating joint. If you ever out at the Briar Patch, the other side of Charles Hardy Show, at 120, there used to be an eating place in there. And I go in, there's a lady sitting there, and I'm all bearded up, and she's soothing, and she said, what are you doing, Buckwheat? I just sat down, and I said, I got to use the bathroom. I get up, and they're doing construction work on that, that restaurant. And I start, and she said, Buckwheat, just use the utility. I just go in there, I remember we used it. And I come back and sat down with Susan, it run out and puddled up between mine and her feet sitting there. Now, the horrible thing about that is the guy that run that place had a pistol in his back pocket. Now, I used to go in places where if you didn't have a pistol, they issued you one when you got <laughs> around on West Georgia College. They, they road joints. You know, they got, if there's anything that really tore me up when I got somewhere, is they voted booze in Pauline County, you know, and stuff. Everybody's peddling. Now, back then it had to be a real big secret. You had to go to them old roadhouses and see them on cutthroats and some of them have noses wide as your hand where it'd been beat on. I had mine operating on the other day up here on 92 Highway. My nose, that guy said, his, your nose is almost destroyed. I said, well, I've been wearing people's fists out on my nose. I just never had had it looked at since I've been sober. And, uh, that's why we was doing it up there. So, anyway, when I, I, I was going to be the first Thomason, uh, and my last name Thomason, and I uh, graduated high school. The rest of them quit and went on the way and went to work for General Motors, left town, uh, asked them to leave town. Uh, I was yet to be asked to leave town. Uh, I was asked when I was about 25 year old to leave Dallas, and, and I didn't go back to two years ago, and everybody died, all the law and all that. Uh, I seen some of them up there, and uh, and uh, I was gonna graduate in high school. Got drunk on on uh, graduation night. Awfulest mess you've ever seen. Horrible. I used to lay in the back of that old pool room up there in Paul and Kelly. The chief of police would come in. He wouldn't even pop me up. He just let me lay like, back there and suffer. I guess I'd suffer as much there as I would be in jail, except I might have had a little bit of fire. But my dad was uh. Cousin was a sheriff of Pauldon County, and, and there's a lot of things that's happened that I was lucky that politics got me out of, even though we were poor. They took care of us and made sure we didn't do it, make us go home, drive us home, or whatever. But anyway, about that time I graduated from high school, and I was, I was born lazy and had a relapse. You know, I don't know where you ever heard anybody say that. I just, I just enjoy it. <coughs> I'm like, Speedy Moore, so he said, somebody told me sorry. He said, yeah, but I'm good at it. Uh, I'm good at what I do. And I decided I'd uh, go over the road over Lockheed Aircraft and help build an airplane. Now, I had no idea about building an airplane. Still not. Stayed down almost 39 years. I don't know what I cannot not do stuff, and that's, that's one thing that's been a real asset of mine. I don't know. When they tell me to come in here and start doing things, 
I just start doing it. I don't know what's well, why? I don't know what to do that. I just start doing it. And that's been a big asset of mine. But anyway, I went to work over and a little bit more money came in. And I was helping raising my three brothers and helped at the family. I, I helped financially. And I told somebody tonight when I come in here today was my only granddaughter's 13th birthday. And I went to see her today. And I told her now I know why God only gave me three daughters. I have three daughters. I can't afford a fourth one, so I just God looking out for me about that fourth one. But uh anyway, when I went to work over there, it was a little bit more doing a lot of things and and I done the usual thing. I really fell in there and started working around the clock, seven days a week, fell in there playing. By the time I was a twenty eight year old I'd have built a fleet of C one forty ones and C five. Now I take a lot of pride in the fact that that them C-5s today, when I read about it, and they flew them, flew down there and got them people and brought them back to Dobbins and flew them out of Texas, all them people. And uh, take a lot of pride in stuff like that because I worked on that one. I, I worked one end of them to the other. And I was watching Dover. They're going to run it tomorrow, the race. When they run the sp- uh, spring race, I, I noticed that that big C-5 come down through, and I take a lot of pride in the fact that I was all over that thing and able to, to help build something in Helps with humanity and keeps this country free. Last thing I worked on was F-22. Uh, we worked on the most sophisticated airplane this, this world has ever seen. And I, I was fortunate enough to do that. I take a lot, of, I was over there a couple of weeks ago to see somebody retiring. It's still, uh, when I walk in there, I think about all, all the happiness I had sober in there. Now, I didn't have too much. I went there in 63 and left at 73 and went back at 79 when I got sober. I didn't have too many happy days when I got deep into alcoholism. But when I went back, the greatest day of my life was the last day I worked there. I didn't know that it would be my last day. Uh, I went in and they struck. And I always, I, I always wanted to strike. I don't know why I've been in the union all my life. I always wanted to strike. And we struck. I never went back. I just told them I was going to retire. And I had all the time and the, with the grace of God, I'll never have to work again as long as I live because I, I was well taken care of. And they took care of me and they was a great company. But anyway, working up to that, I, I started, like I say, I was in there and I started drinking more. And in 1969, I got married to a lady. Now, I couldn't go back to Paulding County and get a lady or lie to them people much anymore. So I had to go all the way to a place called Hateful out at where Delta Airlines where they just went bankrupt. I went out there and got a wife. She didn't know me. Her name was Ann and Dottie and Roy knew Ann. And uh Ann died five years ago from breast cancer and we had a lot of great times together when we I got sober and some when we were I was drinking and she married me three wonderful girls like I was talking about. And uh, you know, when I was on this road of destruction, I'd end up back up in Paulding County and bought a big logging outfit up there and I Went broke. I can tell y'all every way y'all can think of to go broke. I am a master at it. <coughs> I am. You are looking at a non-business person. You tell me what to do, pay me by the hour, put a little way for my retirement, and I do pretty good. 
But I'm one of them they talk about in 12 and 12 of my big book is that <coughs> one thing worse than, than bad fortune for an alcoholic, it's good fortune. I heard Chuck Chamberlain say that when he was here, when he wrote the new pair of life. That uh, I, if I get on a roll like that, man, I'm going to do something destructive. So anyway, I went back over there and spent a lot of good years. And I had to start making amends. Now, I, I was one of those people that had to start making amends. Because I've done a lot of destruction. Now I've killed my stolen, and I hadn't talked about the two people I killed in a drunken stupid. I live in uh, less than a half mile today, where I come over a hill and in a blackout. Hit head on at New Canaan Church on 278, and two people died in that because of politics, and because the gentleman lived and told him not to do anything to me. I was able to do that, and I drug that into the wrong of my alcoholics, and I almost did. And I looked at Joe Hubbard. When I went out to get sober in Peaceford Hop, and I said, Joe, I killed two people in the drunk hospital. He said, well, there's nothing you can do about it except one thing. Just try to give back some of what's been so freely given to you. And you might be able to break even one of these days and it went away one day. When I, it's not a day to fight, I don't think about it. I don't, if I, something happens or something does, it's never the fear, it's never the guilt that I used to have, but every once in a while I think. On a daily basis, I'll think about it. But anyway, when uh, I got in the insurance business, I was in the logging business and went broke in it. Uh, I was an American general. I guess y'all know that. One of the largest insurance companies around. And, and uh, this is the beginning of the end because everything was a little, little bit humorous before then, but now I'm drinking to stay alive. I don't know where y'all ever drink to stay alive. Now, I drank for 15 years. I drank five good years. Five bad years. Five years comparing to two first five. I'd sit around. If I could just get back, if I could just do this, if I just had the time, I'd slow up and I'd get my life straightened out. And I couldn't do it. And I, I called Alcoholics Anonymous when I was only 28 year old, right after I left Lockheed. And a guy gave me some advice that we don't get in AA anymore. If you ever read page 315 of the big book Alcoholics Anonymous, it tells us the type of people that's coming in. They're not the low-bottom drugs that I, I was. Like I used to go on Chicago Avenue and down in uh, Skid Row and do stuff and then come back home. But <clears throat> anyway, when when uh, I was beginning to the end for me, as I, I, was, I wake up every morning. This is a thought that go through my mind. Now, now when I wake up in the morning, I say, I'm going on a diet today. Every morning. I never do anything about it. My mind still works just like it did before. You know, when I drink, I'm going on a diet. Today I'm going to pull down and join a health club, and I'm probably going to be the poster child for them, you know. <laughs> and I can imagine how I'm going to look, you know, I think. And then it hits me. You've been doing this for 10 years now, thinking about that. Now, I make a lot of decisions, but I only act on a few of them. But uh, anyway, I'm waking up with this thought in, in Mason, Georgia. I wish to hell I could just die. I wish to hell I could get out of this. Is there any way that I can ease out of this thing and get the hell out of these people's lives because I can see the hurt and pain that I'm putting on these people. I've lost all self-damn respect for this human being. I have no one. I'm 33 years old going on 10. I haven't grown up, grown up mentally and I have no idea what the hell to do. This American general sent me to a place in Nashville, Tennessee, to call the Grand Ole Opry. 
Now, I don't always want to go grand old. I, pray, I thought I could sing pretty good when I was drunk. I like Stonewall Jackson and all them people. I studied Hank Williams. He, he died of drunk when he was 29 years old. Everybody I've seen study that died drunk. And I went, of all things, I went to uh, Career Academy School of Broadcast. And I don't know why I got a hankering for that, but I went down there and stayed around there. And here I am in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm drunk. I'm not drunk. I can't get drunk and I can't get sober. I don't know where you've been that way. Where you just want to get the hell out of it. You can't. You can't do nothing. And here I'm in one of the most expensive hotels in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm trying. And this is a promise I made myself. I said if I ever get back to the state of Georgia, I'm going to do something about my drinking. And when I got here, I did. I went over here to a place called Cobb Douglas Drug and Alcohol on Love Street, I think, right off. And near it, uh, I, I can't even remember exactly where it's at, somewhere even around Jim City, I think. And I went in there and the guy talked about feeling guilty. God, I felt guilty because I knew. See, I, put, I had people in my family kill themselves, shot themselves, committed suicide. That's one of the, uh, alcoholics do that more than anybody else. You know, there's been four people that I made 12 step calls on in the last month or two that's committed suicide. Because they went back up. And I knew that. And he started talking about it. And I don't know what y'all would do, but I got drunk on the way home. I had to have something now. I liked that vodka because I couldn't spell it on you. I had 100 proof, 80 proof, 90 proof. I had, it took Ann about, a, I had seven or eight pints. I never did buy anything bigger than a pint. I never concealed anything bigger than a pint. I couldn't conceal a quarter with in my pocket or something like But anyway, I got home and I went in and I, <coughs> that's the way, only way I knew how to scream out for help and I thought there was foam beside my head in the, in the kitchen. And I thought for a long time somebody I could call to ask for help and I couldn't think anybody. I drank it all up, right up to the walls. I drank it all up and I finally made it back there. I'd been down on Chicago Avenue. And all around and trying to find, trying to hunt an answer for what was going on with me. And I couldn't do it. And the guys answered it in very simple terms when I got in. But anyway, I called in and, you know, we don't, alcoholics don't do just little. They have to put a lot of, a lot of action in the thing. And I call her in there and, and I tell her, I says, uh, I'll not only tell her I want to die, but I tell her who I want to be, Paul Byron, what to sing over me, you know. Uh, peace in the valley. God, couldn't you? I sometimes think it. Hey, hey sometimes I think they're gonna sing hymns before I go. You know, get the book out and sing hymns. I used to be in that old Baptist church up there, and they'd be singing hymns, and I wouldn't be drinking liquor and chasing women and gambling. Used to gamble by the car lights. There's some things that I was thinking when do because I, I I was always too busy to do something else. I was always gambling or drinking liquor, or chasing women, or going somewhere. But anyway. My wife comes in there, and she comes back in a few minutes and says, she called her sister, which I hated, but she wasn't the only person I hated. I hated anybody else. Called me in there and says, she worked for Bell South, said, employment systems. Now, I had no idea what employment systems were. And they were trying to get in touch with American General, which was just life at that time, and try to get me into a, a treatment center. And they did, 
The drunks come and got me, and they made space for me. I had to make space for me to be detoxified for the Now, I met a gentleman out there, and I met some gentlemen, and I met some ladies. It just didn't take a whole lot of what I had to dish out. And uh, I was out there, and a uh, Conway Hunter, a Conway Hunter, he died last year. God bless his soul. He was out uh, and uh, he uh, he come in the next morning, and uh, and me and some cat was sitting in there. I was vibrating, and he was looking at me, you know. And I jumped right up in the middle of the bed, and he said, "How you doing, Jerry?" And I said, "I'm doing fine." He said, "What in the hell are you doing in here?" We don't get people in detox doing fine. Oh, I, I, you know, I, that's the first thing I run across if you don't tell people you're doing fine. And uh, if you're if you're vibrating down and they're holding you down and they're trying to give you shot at shot and they can't knock you out. Other than that, I was in one. I was in damn good shape. Anyway, and uh, he says he had a blazer on, a yellow one. I'm never forgetting. But before then, I said, "Who's our doctor?" Now I always had to have things figured out, and I had a great mind. God gave me a great. Good God, He gave me one. Well, numbers, I aced everything, medical things, and pollen and all that stuff, and I uh, kept on drinking liquor. Uh, but anyway, He comes in, and I said, "Who's our doctor?" He says, "Scott Hunter." I said, "Scott Hunter." He's quarterback down one foul. He one play time played for the University of Alabama and was backing up Barkowski or somebody down there. And I didn't end up doing that justification, justifying the rationalization I could do. I thought, God, you know, they do volunteer work and they got the greatest medical school in the, in the United States, one of them at, at uh, University of Alabama. And he walks up in, when he comes in, he's five foot two. Now, I'm going to tell you folks something. I've done a lot of liquor drinking, a lot of crazy things. I knew that he wasn't Scott Hunter. Him five foot two. And him quarterback in the NFL. Anyway, he walks in there and he says, he says, uh, there's three things that can happen to you. You need to die, end up in the institution the rest of your life, or you can do what we're saying, you get better. Now, he scorched me so much that first time about saying fine. I hadn't said fine until I get up here. I always say, somebody has said, Buck, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting back. So why do you say that all the time? Of course, I got to have an answer, this, this uh, intellectual answer that you're supposed to give them, you know. Uh, I found out that this is a spiritual-based thing. But anyway, I said, that's what you told me when I got here. So I was in deep house. Shaking it out, and they turned me out. I went nuts, and they put me back in there, and they were really good to me, and really done a lot of great things for me. And, uh, I met another guy that sat down and he told me his story. Now, I don't see many people tell their story to anybody anymore. But he sat down and he told me his story, and his story was almost like mine. He had been a salesman, he had been a drunk, and he had a car that was three different colors. Now, my car was three different. I don't know. I don't know why a drunk will drive a car and the left door won't open and the left window won't roll down. So you have to get out on the right hand side, you know. And that's hard to do when you're collecting insurance. You can, it's sort of embarrassing to have to crawl over everything. But I never got it fixed. And he told me all about that. 
And he put some humor into it. I, my, I had a sponsor named Norman, and some of y'all knew him. And he always said there's two things that he looked for an alcoholic was when an alcoholic could say he was wrong and put humor into his life. And uh, I learned how to say I'm wrong doing that. But Joe told me something. He said, there's two things that keep you drunk. He said, money and education. He said, this is your lucky day. You ain't got either one. <laughs> he said, you drank it right up to the wall. said, you come home, son. There's no use in fighting this thing. He said, just settle in. There's no use in fighting. It's over with. It's over with. There's, no, there's nowhere else to go. And uh, I called Joe up just before he died. He went on to, I said, Joe. He said, what do you want, drunk? Last time I talked. I always remind me of what I want. I had to start being reminded of what I want. Now I come in, I was like all the other idiots that get here. I say, I'm buckwheat and I'm an alcoholic and a, and a, look, that's what, I think I took two aspirins one time. I want to be like everybody else, you know, and a. And I was talking to somebody and they said, maybe if you just said you're an alcoholic, you'd start working. And I was working out on East Paceberry Road out there side of the governor's mansion out there off West Brookhall, East Street Street. That, that you, if they're still there, there's a bookstore on your right. If you come back the other way, you're going west. And you could just, that car could just put it in there, you know. And I, I was out there, <clears throat> and I'm riding out there and I'm praying. I'm 11 months sober. And something happened to me that forever changed my life. And it was, for the first time in my life, I knew I was not a father. There was no more wording, no more guessing, and the whole weight of the world come off my shoulder. It wasn't necessary for me to memorize everything in AA. It wasn't necessary for me to get up here and do all 12-step work. It wasn't necessary for me to grab the first newcomer come through and write him all the way to sat down over here or her and start talking to him. It, it became... Maybe I could be an example of what Alcoholics Anonymous was all about. Rather than standing around and think that I know so damn much and I thought no. Now when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, first thing they said, and I remember it distinctly, they said, if you keep drinking liquor, you're gonna die. So, I never thought of that. They didn't say, we love you. Rassle me all the way from the front door in here and put two or three step over toe on me and tell me how much they love me and grab me. I still see people grab me. I really think it's going to make a damn big difference grabbing me and hug Because one thing this old drunk does, I'd rather be buckwheat than anybody I know of. I love him better today than I did yesterday. I'm better off today than I was yesterday. And I continue doing that. I laid down today because I knew it was coming over here. And read something spiritual and went to sleep and I woke up. I hate to eat my own cooking. God, that's awful to eat the food. I hadn't quite got the knack of that yet. Got up and eat some of my own cooking. And decided that's time to come over here. Now I got a little, my wife left a little miniature dough in her name. Molly. And you know the best thing about Molly, she never talks back to me. I just talked to her all day. I say, you pretty dog. She just look at me, and I'll brag on her and rub her, you know, and talk to her. And we went walking this morning, and I talked to her. 
She don't talk back. All right. And anyway, I decided to come over here, and uh, I continue. Oh God, I guess you didn't close that. I I continue to go not only to alcoholics anonymous. Now I've had I've had a 22 pound hernia attack now, and they cut me half in two down at Piedmont Hospital. Looked like a big old fattening hog when they cut me up and down there, you know, and it was like you. Put a big mess in here because they messed up with a hernia. The other day I went to David Edwards over here, some kind of doctor. I, hell, I can't keep up all them kind of doctors like I used to keep up all kinds of liquor. But I was over there, and he said, we're going to do some minor surgery on you. I said, really? Minor surgery is when you do it at the end, I thought. But anyway... He did six and a half hours on my nose. Now, that was minor surgery. I don't know what they call major, but they took them 11 hours to cut me open and build my chest back and all this stuff. But I, what I, I'm trying to say about that is that, t- that time takes time. And everything that's ever happened to me has been answered since I've been here. Every prayer about it. Everything about my health. I was worried about my health. I prayed about it. I prayed about it. And when it comes time, I got the best help that a human being could ever have. And just before I went in, David asked me something. I said, Buck, would you mind, you and your daughter, granddaughter, if we've been to, we get down here and say a little prayer before you go in there. One of that night. I said, sounds great to me, Dave. See, everything like that has happened to me. It's happened. Because I continue. I'm not one of those that's on a string that bobs around here. I'm one of them that still sets up a big standard for myself because I'm consistent about what I do. I might be the worst damn person in the world, but I'm consistent. And I don't get out of bounds. I used to be one of them, you know, I've got some character in my life today. That's what I didn't have when I got I had no character. I couldn't stand up to anybody. And when I left Lockheed, I'll never forget everybody telling me, say, You've done a good job, Buck, which you've done a good job because I told them exactly how I felt and if I'm back to the Lord, God, I'd do it again. Because I, it said we crawl on our knees before no one just before we read those nine step promises. We crawl on our knees before no one. And I'm exactly that way they saw I appreciate being here and I think about somebody else and maybe having an old this, but Big Jack. For some reason I was sponsoring Big Jack here. And if anybody ever knew him, he's a big guy from Rhode Island. And everywhere I took him, oh, in Georgia, I'd tell him, I'd say, hey, that old boy from South Georgia. And they just take off. Hell, I couldn't understand what he's saying. They just take off and start talking to Jack. And I was privileged to get to talk, take, uh, to get to tote Jack to his grave. I hope somebody gets to tote me. Feels like it's a privilege to get to plant me somewhere. I think that is a privilege to be able to do stuff like that. And he called me and he told me just before he died. He said, I'm going to Jacksonville, Florida. And he says, uh, I hate those kind of trips. And he had a massive heart attack and he died on 811 when he died. And they called me and said, Jack's coming. And I just said, thank you, God, that I got to see a man like that. He taught me more about life. And there's another guy that was a, the uh, president of Outlaw Motorcycle Gang. His name was... Farmer. He taught me more about life when he was in prison and everything. They just been fukus. I see them around here. We're people who don't normally mix. 
And those people had to teach me how to live life on life's terms. Not, I've not been to the great men of the world. I've been to the preachers, the doctors, the psychiatrists, psychologists, bosses, anything that you can think of, bootleggers, you name it, I've been there in uh, witchcraft, whatever. I've been to all that stuff. And I had to come here and listen to a bunch of drunks tell me how to live my life. I don't tell these folks here in New Orleans, uh, and I'm fixing up this thing, but I appreciate y'all being here tonight, uh, and welcome to the state of Georgia. And, uh, I'm, I've enjoyed this. I've probably run over a little bit. Mine says nine o'clock, and I always go by it. And, uh, but it stays on nine o'clock all the time. But no, <laughs> I'm just joking. I appreciate y'all, and I love you, okay?